are wrapping up our series here about Joseph, the, the life of a God chaser. And I want to ask you really quick, before we jump in, have you ever done any like genealogy research on your family? Anybody ever done that? A few, a few of you, I see nodding heads, a few people raising hands, that sort of thing. I, I didn't do that kind of thing for a long, long time because mostly I thought, okay, it's probably either going to be boring or um, it'll probably be, maybe be a bunch of criminals, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. I don't know if you want to know that kind of thing. But anyway, a lot of different reasons. But I thought about it, and then finally a few years ago, I did one of those free trial little runs on, I guess it's Ancestry.com, I think is the website, and where they, you know, make it easy. But, you know, I didn't do the paid version, but they had the free version for a little bit. And I started doing research, and I was going through, and, you know, seeing, you know, my last name's Wallace. I was going through Wallace, looking at all these different, went back, 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 as far as I could go, trying to read a few records here and there. And it was sort of interesting, nothing too super exciting. There was somebody who was supposedly royalty, you know, in some European country years ago. But then I found what, to me, was exciting. If you, if you know anything about history or movies, you probably know where I'm going with this. I found, supposedly, that I'm connected to, I saw you found that, William Wallace. Yeah. All right? The, the Scottish, you know, the guy who freed Scotland from the tyranny of, of the Britons, you know. And, I mean, he was the guy, you know, uh, Mel Gibson played him in that movie all those years ago. And, you know, I always try to do a, you know, a Scottish accent. And, you know, it, it, anyway, it's not pretty. But anyway, don't, don't challenge me. Don't, don't shake your head no, because I, I might do it. But anyway, I, I always just, you know, I was like, that's cool. You know, I mean, this he was this amazing guy, supposedly. And, you know, like anybody in history, you don't know what's legend, what's true. But then, just a couple of weeks ago, I learned a truth that was unsettling in my spirit. My good friend, Steve White, who's here back this sound is a, a myriad of other things here at Moody. He's a great part of our church. Now. That's right. That's right. Um, just in general conversation, it came up that he is related to a guy in history named Robert the Bruce. And if you know anything about the movie and or history, you know that Robert the Bruce was a really good friend of William Wallace, but then he betrayed William Wallace. Betrayed, traitor. And my friend is related to him, supposedly. And so we're doing this, you know, he's bigger than me, so I, and he's got other things that scare me. And so I decided that we're going to call it a truce. No, <laughs> supposedly in the story, they do come back together. Robert Bruce redeems himself and, and helps William Wallace. And, you know, but I think we should do some kind of ceremony. Wouldn't that be cool, you know, to just finally make sure there's peace between the two families? But here's the thing. You never know who's in your family tree. You never know your history. You know, we, we have a hard time even dealing with what we did in the past, but not even to mention all the things that people who come before us have done, whether it be good or bad. And honestly, sometimes we look at our families and we think, man, I just, I don't have a lot of cool things going on in my life. I don't have a lot maybe even to be proud of. Have you ever looked at your life and wondered, why you seem to miss out. I don't know if you thought that. But if you ever looked at your life, looked at your family history maybe, looked at the, the, the trials and errors that you've been through and wondered why you seem to miss out. Maybe you weren't born into a wealthy family. Maybe uh, you weren't born into a family of high achievers or 
you don't think you're overly attractive or school was hard for you. Or maybe your family did okay in those categories, but your home life was kind of a wreck. You know, you had all the material things and you had all the things that looked good on paper, but your home life was sort of a mess, that it was maybe crazy or unloving. Or maybe you look at your life personally and you just realize that it's just a lot of mistakes a lot of broken promises and broken relationships and failures of different kinds and or maybe it's just missed opportunities. Yeah, I don't know if you can relate to that, but I think most of us on some level, in some way, can relate to feeling that way sometime or another. And regardless of where you resonate in that list, maybe you came from a great family. I mean, just you've got history and heritage and all this kind of cool stuff. And, you know, everybody was a high achiever and you're continuing on. But maybe there's something in your life that has made you feel less than. Even if it was just the way somebody else made you feel, whether it was true or not, you felt less than. And it still maybe haunts you to this day. And you wonder if, maybe if you were born into a different family or in a different financial bracket or better home life, maybe life would just be better and easier for you today. Just maybe. What if you feel like your family tree's rotten? <laughs> you know? Maybe you feel like your family tree is rotten. And, and perhaps as you sit here today, that has affected you in more ways than you would ever care to acknowledge out loud. Your past, your family's past, your, the way that your family interacted with each other. Maybe you look at that person and you're like, man, they got it. They got it all put together. They have a great mom, a great dad. They got their brothers and sisters get along. And man, I mean, just everything just falls up. Why couldn't I have had that? Maybe I would be better. Maybe I'd be stronger. Maybe I'd be more successful. Fill in the blank. And you wonder if you're being honest. You wonder, how could God love somebody like you? Or... Maybe you know he loves you because after all, he's God and he's got to, right? It's kind of his job. He's got to love everybody. <laughs> but maybe you wonder how he could use you. Yeah, he loves me, but I'm sort of like that piece of furniture that's got the broken leg. That Don't sit on that. Don't use that in God's living room, so to speak. How could God use you? Yeah, he loves you, but how can he use you? Maybe you think, I'm just too broken, too abused, too forgotten, underprivileged, unprepared for God to use me the way that he uses everybody else. Let me tell you about Joseph. We've talked about him these past few weeks, and maybe if you've heard his story before, you've read his story, you've been paying attention to the sermons, you sort of catch a glimpse of where we're going with this, but in Genesis chapter 37... Verses 3 and 4, it says this. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 3. It says, Now Israel, his father, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Israel, Jacob, if you will, was his other name. He was a guy who unfortunately showed favoritism. 
And some of you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but right now inside of you, some of you are like, yeah, I know who that is. That's my dad, you know. Or that's my mom. You know, they show favoritism. And, and you think, or, or maybe you struggle with showing favoritism. Or, or maybe it's your, your boss that shows favoritism. But you know the pain of being overlooked simply because that person likes somebody else better. And Joseph was the one who received the benefits, but then in the long run, it ended up hurting him severely because his brothers turned on him and, and his dad showed favoritism and that led his brothers to think about killing him. His own brothers thought about killing him and then ultimately they decided, well, at least we should make some money off of it. If we kill him, we won't make any money. So they sold him into slavery. It's not a great way to... Have your early teen years kind of go with it. And then it gets crazier. His brother Judah in chapter 38. It's a little sidelight out of the story of Joseph. I think so you and I can understand we're not alone. And feeling like our family's kind of screwed up and messed up. God tells a story in Genesis 38. That Judah had two sons. And he got a wife for his first son. And that son was so evil, it says that God killed him. You thought you were bad. <laughs> God, it says God killed him somehow. We don't know exactly how, but God killed this guy because he was so wicked and so evil. And so the custom in that time, in case you don't know, the custom was, so if, if your brother um, passes away for whatever reason, if you are the brother, then you have to go and make sure that he has an heir to his name. So you take his wife as your wife and the children that you have are not your own. They belong to the brother's lineage. It's weird to us. I know it's very weird, but that's what they did. It was very common. And so, you know, so they, they do this. So the next brother, the younger brother comes along and he is a wicked guy too. And Crazy story. I'm not going to go into the details of this particular story. It doesn't apply right here. And there's children in here. It's crazy. The Bible is not boring. I'll just say that. But this brother is so wicked as well that God kills him. Both of Judah's sons are killed because they're wicked. Well, there's a younger brother that's come along. And evidently, you know, so what Judah says to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, he says... Wait a little bit till he's older, and then he can come and he can make sure that you have an heir. And see, this is why it's so important. Because women were not loved and respected like thankfully they are in our time and our culture. And so she would have been left to fend for herself if she was a widow, and especially since she did not have any children. That was big trouble for her. She could starve and die and never have anybody to help. She couldn't go and earn money. And it was just the time they were living in. So this was how they protected the women. And so she's sitting there and she's left to wait year after year after year for this other son that she can then marry and hopefully have children to just carry on her family line. And she's sitting there, she's waiting. And it reveals in, in chapter 38, verse 11. It says, And Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. And he's got an ulterior motive. He says, For he feared that he would die like his brothers. You see, evidently, now I'm, I'm reading in a little bit, but I think it's not too much of a stretch, but I'll just make that note. I think Judah was afraid that, of course, his third son would die. That's stated. 
But somehow, perhaps, maybe Judah was thinking that she, Tamar, was the one that was cursed. You know, maybe he didn't have a clear understanding of why his sons were dying. But let me tell you this. Let me just, let's flesh this out for just a second. If his sons were wicked enough that God killed them, don't you think he would know? Okay? Um, as you look around, have you ever, through your life, you ever run into anybody who's just a mean jerk? Yeah, you have, right? Um, you ever been mistreated? You ever been cut off and, you know, people give you certain hand gestures in traffic or at Walmart? You know, you ever had that happen? There's mean people in this world, and you probably met some really, really bad ones. But have you ever seen God kill one of them? So that leads me to believe that these brothers, these boys, men, I should say, were an extra level of wicked. So do you think, just I'm reasoning out, reasoning out here, do you think Judah didn't realize his boys were wicked? I would say no. I think he realized. I think he realized beyond a shadow of a doubt that his boys were wicked. If They were so wicked that God destroyed them. I believe Judah was aware of his wickedness. Instead of looking at the truth of the matter, he wanted to figure out, maybe sort of blame his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And, and my question is this, how about just raise better boys? How about just raise better boys, Judah? I, I know your children and my children make their own decisions. I make decisions against what my parents taught me. But how about do your best, your very best, to try to raise better boys to become better men? You know, that's a lesson for all of us. And that's something I need to hear and say to myself as a father. And, you know, raise better children. Do your best to make sure that your kids are there. And, and I'll, I'll summarize the rest of the story. So she realizes that he is not going to fulfill what he's supposed to do and let her marry this youngest son. So she sneaks down. She takes off and changes out of her mourning clothes, which were very kind. Everybody could see and know she was in mourning. And she basically um, dresses up as a lady of the night. I'm just trying to make it nice and nice and PG sort of here. Um, she dresses up as a lady of the night, and she knows he's going down to do business, and she meets him, and basically he takes part in the services. And they didn't, he didn't have any money on him, basically, so they said, how am I going to know that you're going to pay me? And so she says, give me your signet ring and uh, your staff, I believe. Uh, forgive me for losing the exact things here. But basically it's leaving a credit card with him. And so when you have a signet ring, that's how you promise payment. And so he gives this woman this. He thinks it's just some prostitute. And he gives us this. He goes on his way. And then they bring news. And they say, guess what? Your daughter-in-law has been a very, very bad girl. And to top it off and make it worse, she is pregnant from her sins and from her bad behavior. And so he says, you need to burn her. He's looking for any way to get rid of her. Now, he was not wrong according to the law. She was, if she was doing what she was doing, then she deserved to be punished. But he's like, you, you need to punish this woman. And then Tamar comes in and she says, the person that I'm guilty of my sin with is the owner of these things. And she puts his signet ring down right there. And he's like, oh boy, gotcha. He's like, I guess we won't go to the burning part right now. We'll put that off. And he realizes that he was guilty and he was wrong and he was sinful. This is the stuff that Joseph had in his family tree, in his lineage. This is stuff that would make Dr. Phil blush. Am I right? You know, how's that working for you? It's not working too good, is it? This, this life, this family was a train wreck. They were a shipwreck. They were a airplane wreck. They were everything. Every kind of wreck you could think of. 
His family tree going back was full of messy people. He came from a family of, of worldly deceivers and impetuous people who didn't think before they left. And the Bible is, is full of broken people. Messed up people. Crazy acting people. With families that would, like I said, make Dr. Phil blush. And God uses them time and time again. Do you hear that? You might think your family is so messed up. You might think your past is too jacked up and you've done too many things wrong that God cannot use you. But the Bible is full of people who mess up just like you do and their families mess up just like you do. And yet God still uses them. You and I have to understand this. And the question is, how does he do this? Time and time again, God takes hot messes and turns them into heroes. He takes people who are just a hot mess and he turns them into heroes for his glory and his honor. And the question is, how? How does God do it? Of course, he's God, but he didn't make us to be robots, did he? And so we've got a part to play in this in this whole thing. It would be it would be a whole lot more effective if he did just make us do exactly what he wanted us to do and control us like remote control little robots. But we have a part to play. But here's how that he does it. Here's the how behind it. Faith is stronger than family or failures. Faith is stronger than family or failures. It doesn't matter what your family heritage is like, whether it be good or bad. It doesn't matter what failures you've committed. It doesn't matter the sins that you've committed and the way you've hurt people. It doesn't matter. Faith can overcome all of those things. And you and I have to understand that. When you realize that you're not bound by your family tree or your past failures and hurts, God can use you in ways that you never dreamed but most of us sit on the sidelines getting wrapped up in the same old sins or at the very least just being that broken piece of furniture in God's living room, not allowing God to use us because we don't think that God can take junk and use it for his glory. But that's what God does because I got a secret. Okay? Got a secret. Facebook people got a secret. All of us are junk and broken. <laughs> Every single one of us is broken. And I know that hurts our 2021 feelings because we've been given gold stars and all that kind of good stuff and trophies for just showing up. But we're all a big mess. And some of us do a better job of covering it up and some of our messes look different than somebody else's, but we're still a mess. Without God, we're still a broken, hot mess that God can still turn into a hero. And you and I just have to understand that. When you focus on your shortcomings or your family background, you're focusing on you. You're not focusing on the God who can take you and mold you into who he needs you to be. Even if you think it's your family that's holding you back. And I mean, generations back. And we, we talk about generational curses. Even if you think it's them, it's still you that you're focusing on and not God who's able. Am I right? It's time that we focus on God and realize that he is able. 
And it may be hard to hear because, like I said, it goes against our society and our, our culture. But when you decide that you truly want to live, when you truly want to live, you have to die to yourself first. Amen. And you no longer exist anymore. You no longer exist anymore. But Christ lives in you and through you. You see, Paul said in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, he writes to this church in Galatia that was struggling with people coming in, telling the, the Christians that if they were Gentiles, that they also needed to be Jews. And they were finding a lot of, of excitement in who their fathers were and their grandfathers and grandmothers and all that sort of stuff. And they wanted to be able to trace their lineage back as far as they could back into Jewish culture. But he's saying it's not about that anymore. It's not about who your mom and dad is. Look at what he says here in Galatians 3 verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What Paul is saying is it doesn't matter who your mama or your daddy or your grandmammy was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good they were. It doesn't matter how bad they were. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. When you put on Jesus at baptism, it says you're clothed in Christ at baptism. You die yourself. You're buried. And then you're raised up. You come clothed with the Holy Spirit in you. Man, isn't that awesome? You're clothed in Christ. You're spiritually clothed in Christ at baptism. So God doesn't look at you and see your past. He doesn't look at you and see your family tree, whether, no matter how rotten it is, with broken branches. It, he doesn't look at any of that. He looks at you and he sees his perfect son. That's who he sees. When you clothe yourself with him in baptism at that point. So it doesn't matter who your mom or your dad is. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter about any of that. It doesn't matter about your sex. It doesn't matter about the mistakes you made, the lies you told, the people that you betrayed. It simply matters that you are in Jesus. Man, that, that ought to fire y'all up. That's all that matters, guys. It doesn't matter what has been holding you back in the past. It just matters, am I in Christ? Can I be free? Yes. It doesn't matter what I thought of was a disadvantage. It doesn't matter what other people have told me was a disadvantage. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. I don't, it doesn't matter how broken I am or how many times I've betrayed other people. Or maybe I deserve to be destroyed like those two sons of Judah. It doesn't matter about any of that because in Christ I am free and I can live and I can move and breathe and be a child of the promise. It simply matters that you're covered in Jesus. So you just cling to Jesus because faith is stronger than family or failures. 
And that's what happens. It says, you're sons and daughters of God through faith when you were clothed in Christ at baptism. And so you have to remind yourself that even Jesus was doubted by and for his family and his upbringing. Because it's one thing to know, yes, when I'm in Christ that I'm new and I don't have to worry about my, my, my lineage or my mistakes or my past or my failures. That's one thing. But to put it into practice, how do we do that? Well, remind yourself that Jesus was treated just that same way. He was treated just that same way. In John chapter 1, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to refresh your memory about this. When Philip invited Nathaniel, as one of the first couple of disciples to follow Jesus. He goes to him and he said, look, the Messiah is here. Jesus of Nazareth. And, and uh, Nathaniel just famously said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And he said, come and see. So Jesus was doubted right off the gate just because where he was from. Because where he grew up, he was already doubted by people. And in John chapter 7 verse 5 it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. His own family thought that maybe he was crazy. And so Jesus, even there. And one other thing you think about, many times if you say, if you've been reading the Bible, depending on what translation you've read, you would read somebody described as like Jonah, uh, or, or Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon bar Jonah. That's what that means. It means bar means son of. So Simon bar Jonah, that's saying that Simon is the son of Jonah. And oftentimes that's how you'd be introduced. People would recognize you based on who your father was. And then, you know, your father before him and the same thing went down the line. What Jesus was called many times, what? Jesus of Nazareth. Because a lot of people caught on that Joseph was not his father. And so what they were saying about Jesus in many ways was he is an illegitimate son who doesn't even know his daddy. But little did they know. Little did they know as good as Joseph was, Jesus' father is God. Little did they know. So he was doubted from the get-go, from, from the day one, Jesus was doubted. And so remind yourself that people may doubt you and they remind you of your past and they remind you of your mistakes and failures. But it doesn't matter who your mom or your daddy is. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. Is that faith is stronger than family or failures. And Paul sums it up in a powerful way here in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And that's a good chunk of scripture. I want you to read along with me here. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Going on to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already made perfect, but I press on. Say press on. Press on. To make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Say press on. Press on. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Let us hold true to what we have attained. And one more verse. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There's a lot of stuff there, but I wanted to draw your attention just a couple things as, as we kind of get down towards the end here. The first thing is this. Forget the past. It doesn't matter what your family tree is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Forget the past. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. But what's the one thing we tend to fall right back to? Thinking about the past. What's the one thing that people like to remind us of? Our past. And I'm here to tell you guys something. And I need to hear this just as much as anybody else. If Jesus can make it where Satan cannot accuse you, do you think he can stop anybody else on this earth from accusing you? They might make the accusation, but it won't stick. It won't stick. It will not hold up in court. It will not hold up on the day of judgment. It doesn't matter what they say because they are not your creator and master and savior. God is. It doesn't matter what they say. Forget your past. And oftentimes other people may forget your past, but you, you are the one who remembers it. And you are the one who, crazily enough, is the one who prosecutes yourself and persecutes yourself time and time again. Forget your past. I'm not saying you don't need to learn from it. I'm not saying that you're, you're sometimes going to carry consequences from it. Yes, that's true in this earth. But when it comes to your relationship with God, forget your past and keep moving forward. That's the next thing he said. Keep moving closer to Jesus. Here at Movement, that's what our name means, is to continually keep moving closer to Jesus. That's one of our parts of our mission statements, to love, serve, and move. Grow in Jesus every day. And guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to want to quit, but you get back up and you keep moving closer to Jesus. We're not asking anybody to be perfect because Jesus is the one who makes you perfect. But we're just saying be faithful. Keep moving closer to Jesus and we'll do this together. I need you to pick me up sometimes. And, and you need me to pick you up sometimes. But we do it together to keep moving closer to Jesus. Now here's another thing that was sort of hidden there. If we were going to edit the way we like to edit, we might take this part out. But he ultimately says, you got to sacrifice. you got to be willing to die to yourself. He said that I don't exist anymore. That I want to attain to the resurrection of Jesus. So being like him, even in his death, I've got to be willing to die. You cannot go dragging your old dead corpse that you used to be through life and expect to move forward with success. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Forget your past. Keep moving closer to Jesus. And as we said, our mission here is love, serve, and move. Love God, love other people. Serve the church and serve the world. And keep moving every day. Growing, getting up when you stumble and fall, and keep moving closer to Jesus. That's what it takes to look more and more like Jesus. And then one of the last things he said is this. Imitate faithful people who follow the Bible. Imitate faithful people who follow the Bible. He said, 
look at other people. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us, in the apostles, the prophets who spoke the word of God. Look at people who were living faithful lives. But what do we do many times? We get on Instagram and we look at the people that look like they got it all together this week, but are failing in eternal matters. And we try to copy them. We try to copy the people we see in magazines and on social media and the people, our neighbors next door, and they don't know Jesus. We need to live a life that shows them that we rise above because we have Jesus and that they will want to imitate us. Because they, we, they see we have something that lasts beyond anything this world can throw at us. That earthquakes and hurricanes and floods and life cannot destroy. So imitate people who you see being faithful. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. Just think, for example, with me for a second. This might turn your stomach. But, you know, social media influencers, that's people that, you know, are just famous for kind of just being whatever. I don't really even know how to describe it. But, you know, they wear all the right clothes. They do all the right things. They're in perfect shape. They've got, you know, all the filters on and all the makeup and all that sort of stuff. If you're tempted to look at that, if you're tempted to look at that, you're not going to learn how to do eternal things, are you? But if that's what you're after, what do you do? You study them, you follow them, you watch everything that they say, every YouTube video they put out. So what do you need to be doing if you want to make yourself look like somebody who's faithfully uh, in eternal matters, faithful in eternal matters? You need to spend time with them. You need to soak up everything that they do. When they fail, how they repent and how they respond. You need to be around them. That's why the church has to be together. Because you need to be able to imitate faithful people. That would be nice if they put some of it on Instagram. That's, that's cool too. But you need to be living and breathing and moving through life with them. If you want to be able to imitate the people who are doing the things that matter. The eternal things right. Because simply put. Faith is stronger than family or failures. Many years ago, when I went off to college at East Carolina University, you know, I grew up in a family that loved Jesus and went to church more often than I did, that's for sure. But I struggled with living a worldly life. And I had intentions of doing all the right things when I went to college, but really quickly I went back into my old patterns. But thankfully, by the grace of God, I had a connection with Campus Christian Fellowship, but it was the ECU version, like we mentioned earlier by NC State, it was ECU. And I'd hear the word of God and I would see faithful people, but then when I'd get away from them, I'd really quickly, I'd either be tempted or I'd be tempted somebody else. And I wasn't living a life that followed and honored Christ. And I lived, though, in the campus house right there. It had a big old sign right across the street from campus that said, Campus Christian Fellowship. And one morning I was heading to class. It was freezing cold. It was January or February. And I'm walking across the street. And I see somebody out of the corner of my eye. They're getting ready to cross the street. We're going to meet on the opposite corner. And uh, I see it was this young lady about my age in college. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to say, I'm going to talk to her. Anyway, we'll see what happens. And she brings up something to me first. I'm like, okay, all right. She starts talking to me. And her question, though, is this. Hey, I saw you come out of that Campus Christian Fellowship house. Is that something you're a part of? And I was like, oh, man. Oh, man, i got to come up with something good here. And so I just real quickly, I was like, 
I live there, but I'm not like them. You know, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not like them. I'm not really, I don't buy into what they are selling. I, I don't live like them. I mean, I said something like that really quick. And I'm thinking, I dodged that bullet because, you know, if she thinks I'm a Christian, she's not going to talk to me anymore. And so, you know, this conversation is going to be over. And then she said, oh, man, that's too bad. I'm a part of a campus ministry here on campus, and I was going to invite you. I heard the rooster crow, y'all. I heard the rooster crow. Like Peter, when he denied Jesus. And that was my Peter, that was my Judas moment. And I had a decision to make, and God began to work on me in ways that he had been doing all along. But that was the piercing moment that I needed in my life to see, man, you are a fraud. You are trying to play both sides, and when it, when it suits you, you're going to tell people that you're a Christian, and when you think it's going to help you to not be, you'll tell them you're not. And he hit me right between, in the heart, and hit me right between the eyes, and I realized, and thankfully, I took the Peter route and not the Judas route. When I was convicted, thankfully, God continued to bring more people into my life that I could imitate and follow to live a life of faith. And he began to turn my life around. And I stand here today, a broken, hot mess in many ways. But God has used me to bring people to Jesus and to help other people bring people to Jesus. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. If he can use somebody like me who's a broken, hot mess in many ways, he can use you. He can use you. So it's time to stop worrying about what you used to be, what you used to do, how you used to talk, how you used to think, what your family did or they didn't do, and realize that faith is stronger than family or failures. And just cling to Jesus with everything that you've got. But it all starts, like Paul said in Galatians chapter 3. That you can't be a son or a daughter of faith until you're clothed in Christ. And the Bible says right there that the way you do that is when you're baptized in Christ, you die, you're buried, and then you're raised up to walk in a new life. And so that's your first step. That's your first move. If you realize, man, my life is a shambles and I need something different, it's time. It's time to make that decision to say, God, I want to be clean. I want to be clothed in you. I want to be new. I want to be a son or a daughter of faith. And then your job from there on out is to cling to Jesus with everything in faith, holding on to him because you can't do it. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. But with the Holy Spirit in you now, you can do anything through faith in Jesus. And you can become a person who other people can imitate, who they can look to. But it only starts by forgetting what's behind, pressing on for what's ahead. You move together with your family in Christ, learning to imitate each other, become more like Jesus every day. But it won't happen if you sit there in your seat and then walk out of here and you don't share. It won't happen if you keep it quiet and you never say the words out loud that I need to do something different. I need Jesus. Or I need to start clinging to Jesus more. And I need to imitate Jesus more. And I need to imitate faithful people more. If you walk out of here, it's just going to be the same thing this week that it was last week. But if you want to be a part of seeing the world changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you need to tell someone. If you're here in person, I'll be at the 
back. And I'd be glad just to pray with you and walk you through what you need to do. And there's other people that do that too. If you're watching online, simply send us a comment message and we'll connect with you. We'll help you know what you need to do. But the important thing is forgetting what's behind and running towards Jesus, looking forward to what's ahead. Where's the start for you today? Stand with